0: This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu journals.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Coordinator in the Journals Division. John Irwin led the Hopkins Review from its rebirth in 2008. He will retire from teaching at Johns Hopkins at the end of the 2015-16 academic year. David Yezzy took over as editor of the journal in 2015. A well-known poet, actor, and editor, Yezzy had joined the Johns Hopkins faculty in 2013. The spring 2016 issue of the Hopkins Review will honor Irwin's career as a poet and editor. Yes, he joined us to talk about his new position and what it feels like to take the reins from Irwin.
0: Thank you for joining me,
1: David. Tell me, how's the beginning of your tenure at the Journal gone so far?
0: Well, it's been really fun. I um, remember very clearly meeting with John Irwin for lunch shortly after I came to Hopkins, and I think John knew that I had an editorial background, and he very graciously asked if I would be interested in editing um, uh, an issue, guest editing. Um, an issue of the review, and so he got me up and running with that. And wasn't long after that that he decided that it was a good time to kind of hand off the reins to uh, to me full time. And so it's been it's been great. And of course, this
1: issue coming up, we're recognizing John in it. How important was it to to, to not just recognize but celebrate his career with the journal and his writing and here at Hopkins?
0: Well, you know, it really is the end of a remarkable career at Johns Hopkins. I mean, a career that has really defined Hopkins and the writing seminars for decades and decades. And so, um, you know, John's own scholarly work on Hart Crane and um, Fitzgerald and, and now forthcoming on Weldon Keys, I mean, to celebrate that achievement as well as pretty much single-handedly reviving the Hopkins Review from its its kind of brief run in um, the mid-20th century to uh, to what is now its kind of ninth volume of the new series. So thanks to John, the new series has actually been running longer than the initial Hopkins Review and has managed to include, you know, eminent writers poets artists so it's really it's exciting to kind of uh to follow john and uh, and now is the is now that he's retiring it's just a perfect time to to celebrate that achievement
1: and in, in this issue, the Festschrift, is that the correct word? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just some amazing names, people who are sharing their memories of John. How fun was that to collect those?
0: Well, it was super fun. And there's actually a, there's some hilarious anecdotes in the, uh, in the various memoirs. And there's a range of uh, longtime colleagues who, you know, remember John's uh, real leadership in the writing seminars. Uh, there are students who um, are still grumbling about the uh, quizzes, the impossible quizzes on very arcane points of, uh, of, you know, uh, obscure Hart crane poems, and colleagues, other poets who, you know, have worked alongside John in the literary world. So it's a a nice range of of people remembering John.
1: Yeah. What's it mean for you to your third year at Hopkins, to be leading a journal with this kind of legacy. It doesn't have, like you say, the continuous history, but it's got some oomph to it. Yeah. And the yeah. people who've worked on
0: it. Well, it's exciting. And I, 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 I think maybe why John thought of me is, on the one hand, there's everything that he's built at the Hopkins Review, and I think the Hopkins Review's particular strength is its ability to both function as – a national literary magazine, uh, but also is a magazine that really is proud of its roots in uh, the Johns Hopkins community. And so we have been able to feature in recent issues... Um, um, an interview with Matthew Porterfield, who is a Baltimore filmmaker who teaches at Hopkins, and his independent films are among the best reviewed, you know, in the history of American independent film. And so here's a very exciting artist who is working on an international level, um, but who's right here in Baltimore, uh, making films here in Baltimore. He's making a film here this summer. So that's, I think, a real strength of the of the review. And I think what John may be sensed, um, because of my own editorial work at different magazines, um, Parnassus and the New Criterion, and then working at the 92nd Street Y, is that there was some continuity there, that Karen Wilkin, the art critic uh, and um, curator, who has worked with John for years, was someone that I also worked with as an art critic. And so there was a nice amount of overlap. You know, Rosanna Warren, who's a wonderful poet and a critic, is someone who's been associated with the Hopkins Review for um, for many years under John's leadership, but is someone that I've worked with as well. And so there was a nice kind of seamless transition of you know of a, a kind of familiarity that I was able to. Uh, to carry over two writers that John had built into the the stable of the Hopkins Review. So um, that worked out well, but it's just, you know, one of the things that I've never been able to do before is to uh, select images. So mm-hmm. the Hopkins Review has a different image on the cover every quarter, but also has a portfolio of images. And so now, not only I've had experience working with art criticism, but never um, selecting and publishing um, actual images. And so to have artwork by Mark Strand uh, shortly before he died was a great, um, I think, thing for the magazine. To have uh, suites of drawings and artwork by Edward Hopper, Philip Gustin, as well as newer artists, contemporary artists working in various media. It's something that is a capability that the magazine has that I'm very excited about. Do you have any new initiatives planned, or is this thing so robust that you don't
1: really need to kind of mess with the formula?
0: Well, you know, I think that it's good to move things in, in different directions periodically. I think a danger with magazines is that uh, a reader can come to feel that... They know what to expect, that you almost don't have to open the magazine. I know what's in that magazine. I've read it for so long. It's going to be the same kind of format. Nothing is, you know, and I'm, I'm, so I think it loses a little bit of energy that way. The truth is, is that when you open up the Hopkins Review, or if you've opened up a Hopkins Review over the past eight or nine years, there's always been amazing things to read. And so it's already operating at the highest level in that regard. But I think it is fun to... Uh, to branch out a little bit. And so one of the things that I've been able to include in the last kind of two seasons of working on the magazine is um, interviews, interviews with artists kind of across the spectrum. And there had been interviews um, uh, previously, but we've really kind of increased that. So we've we've had interviews with um, Matt Porterfield, the filmmaker I mentioned, Aaron Arbus, who's a New York theater director, Fulvia Testa, who's a painter. Uh, we have one coming up with um, the former British poet laureate, Andrew Motion, who's now teaching here at Hopkins. And so really across the arts, we're able to interview People not so much about their external accomplishments, but really about process, really about the decisions, the aesthetic decisions that artists make in producing their work. And so that's really the angle that we try to take. Um, I've also been including drama. So in addition to regular fiction and nonfiction poetry, um we included an excerpt from a verse drama by a wonderful uh, playwright, Dan O'Brien, who just had a show in uh, New York, his his wonderful play, Body of an American, at the Cherry Lane Theater, uh, which is now in Washington, D.C., running at Theater J. And so we had an excerpt from his new play. We're hoping that he'll be here in the fall to really read the whole thing for, uh, for an audience at Hopkins as a visiting uh, a writer, as a Chafee visiting uh, a writer. And um, I have another play in Prospect that I haven't quite kind of inked the deal on, but I'm, I'm very interested in including drama as well as, um, as the other kinds of writing that the Hopkins Review has, has typically uh, included.
1: John had always talked about that this was a, a, a quarterly, so you could use it throughout the entire quarter. You could read a piece of fiction this week, look at the pictures next week. How, you already mentioned that with the photography, how fun is that to dabble in so many different areas when you're putting an issue together to know that people have those two, three months to, to digest everything?
0: Well, editing a quarterly is a great opportunity to have the last word in a sense, because you know, daily journalism and weekly journalism, and even monthly journalism, has a kind of timeliness that their schedule affords them. That means that they weigh in early on things. There's a more of a, often a more of a news peg. Now we do have a whole review section, so we're you know keeping up with new books, um, theater performances, dance. But because of our time frame being a quarterly, it means that we can consider these things at greater length and from a vantage point of a little bit more time. And so, for example, coming up in the next issue is an essay that I'm very pleased with. It's a kind of revisionist essay on the plays of Arthur Miller uh, in conjunction with a new edition of Miller's complete plays. And, you know, it's not a news item, but it is a, a long interesting and i think quite surprising consideration and re-evaluation of arthur miller that is the kind of thing that a quarterly can do that other outlets can't and so yeah so you can you can spend some time with it you know one week as john Irwin you know like to say um you know you can spend some time reading about arthur miller and then poems you can kind of uh, fold in as you go and you know, take on the review sections. And I have friends and colleagues who tell me they read the magazine that way, that they uh, carry it around with them for a couple of weeks in their bag and just kind of, you know, uh, uh, work through it that way. And that's very its very gratifying to hear.
1: What advice would you give to people who aspire to publish in the Hopkins Review? If someone says, I want to be in there, what should they be looking to do?
0: Well, uh, you know, we're very open to new writing. And so we're we're, we love to have uh, submissions. I know that um, different magazines work differently, but we have a, a submission program, Submittable, that uh, people can um, send their work uh, through to, to the editors. And this is something that I have always said to people who are interested in publishing their work, be it poetry or uh, fiction, criticism, uh, that... You can always tell when someone sends work and they haven't read the magazine. And you can tell because they're sending something that just doesn't really fit. It's something that, you know, wouldn't be the kind of thing that the magazine would uh, would publish. And that just means that they've never held it in their hands or they've never gone to the library and accessed it through Project Muse. But if you do take time to get a copy of the magazine and to page through it and see, oh, well, um, they have a weekly theater you know, a, sorry, a quarterly theater column. Um, so I probably couldn't review new plays through them necessarily. But I could, but I see they have this essay on Arthur Miller. I'm really interested in Ibsen. Maybe I could write an essay on Ibsen, and that would be something that they would be interested in. Or um, you'd notice, oh, there are poems in translation. That's good. Uh, They do that sort of thing. That's something that I also do. I can send them that because not every magazine is interested in publishing a certain amount of poetry in translation, but that is something the Hopkins Review does. So just to to kind of scope it out, and here's the trick about it, is that editors... Uh, are in a tough position. They have blank pages. And every time a magazine goes off to the printer, it's, it's like the whole magazine is empty again. It needs to be populated with new uh, work. So by looking at the magazine and getting a sense of what it is that the Hopkins Review does, you're actually doing us a favor. You're giving us exactly what we need to put, put out the magazine. And that's how you develop relationships with editors. If you're able to have a knowledge of the magazine and to send work that, you know, seems to you a good fit and the editors agree, well, then the likelihood of your being able to go back there and successfully land work there again is very high. And then uh, you'll have a relationship that could go on for years and decades. And we're just on volume nine. Getting ready for Volume Ten. <laughs> That's it. We're actually I've started putting uh, putting pieces away for Volume Ten. Uh, the special issue with the Fesh rip for John Irwin is coming out um, just this week. Uh, it's our spring issue, and uh, we've got the summer issue well underway, and so yeah, we're we're in the in the midst of Volume Nine, but we've already glimpsed to uh, to next year and, and are looking at, at Volume Ten. We wish you all the luck on that, and thanks for joining us today, David. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu journals for more information.